and welcome hey. to God. <laughs> you thought this was one was directed towards you this time, did you? I am. I was greeted. It's impolite not to respond. I was talking to our lovely listening audience, which our stats show us is around ten people. <laughs> <laughs> I'll have you know it's thirteen unique listeners, according to what I've been looking at. That's merely an estimate, though. I assume people are listening. It's it's like old time radio. Where... Oh, I can't imagine that it's the same 13 people <laughs> <laughs> yeah every week we lose 100 percent of our listener base and <laughs> pick up what we can from the scraps uh and if you're one of those lucky few <laughs> then can kudos to you and welcome to got the runs the comics podcast with all the sexual tension of a 13 year old bride <laughs> and an old man with a wrinkled back <laughs> well which side because i feel like you know, they had different stances on how much sexual tension I suppose was present true. in that situation. I mean, I don't remember exactly what she does, but I feel like she was sort of trying her best to diffuse the sexual tension. Well, she flees. <laughs> yes, eventually. Um, yes, as I was saying before we started recording, lots of options for what the sexual tension could be. Uh, between... I, th- I thought you might go for the sliced testicle. <laughs> I was going to say, between a, a, a loose woman... And a man with a sliced testicle. <laughs> Between a razor blade and a testicle. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. Let's just cut all this out and put that in. Uh, but welcome to the show. We are, of course, on part two of our miniseries covering the work of Marjane Satrapi. This week, we are covering her... What, what you, you, put, you put a little Jackson Georges spice on that one. <laughs> I, was, I was trying, I was sort of caught in the middle ground between, am I going to really lean into the French accent and make it feel a little bit offensive, perhaps? Or am I just going to lean back and maybe have it, the pronunciation not be totally accurate? Because, of course, we were, as Canadians, educated well, I was about language. <laughs> I was about to say that as Canadians, I feel that when we put on a French accent, there's definitely like a Quebecois uh, well <laughs> bent to it. I think you specifically do a Jean Chrétien a lot, <laughs> the <laughs> former prime minister. No, I'm I'm doing my uh, my friend from university, Sam Béchard, who uh, was a Quebec City boy, um, and and spoke with a very thick Quebecois accent that. Has ruined my French accent forever. <laughs> <laughs> let's just try and say it right now. Like, let's just tr- like try and be accurate. Let's just give it a. Tr- I'm gonna. I'll do my. Marjain Satrapi. Well, here's the thing. It's not a French name. <laughs> I suppose that's true. So I always just say Marjain Satrapi. <laughs> I suppose we should be really doing our Iranian accents. So <laughs> oh, you go <laughs> first. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say we will leave and study up and come back with a very uh, a very well defined culturally sensitive uh... <laughs> precisely. But all this to say, we are covering. I, I, what would you call this? Uh, certainly, I just a graphic novel. Yeah, I, I was a thinking graphic of, novella. Yeah, a graphic novella. A a like vignette. Uh, uh, it's almost like a short story compilation in some ways. Yeah, certainly it, yeah, and its structure. Yeah, it, I, I was trying to think, I was like, you could kind of make a movie of this almost and have it sort of be like yeah. episodic in that way. Yeah, or, or yeah, a, a movie would be good. Like, it would be, it's it's almost like one episode of a TV show also, though. <laughs> Just full that? of like, like five minute long stories. 
what what is what is that tv uh, show I don't, I don't what is it's like a, it's like a plot? clip show <laughs> <laughs> sure it, it is kind of like uh it is it might be the wake up ron burgundy of uh persepolis where <laughs> it was all the leftover footage that they had from filming which the, they then turned into a movie of its own it's it's the jackass 2.5 mm. of uh iranian french graphic memoirs they like they like their 0.5s isn't there like a bad grandpa like 0.5 also yes there is there that's there's a, a jackass the origin 2. of my 5. favorite bit <laughs> what is your favorite when bit? he's talking to the sex therapist and goes Ladies, ah yes, yeah. Ladies, yeah. Want to ride in my Mercedes? Yeah. <laughs> right. Does that movie? Uh, this is very germane to the topic, but yeah. Does that movie feature Spike Jones? And Spike his... Jones plays the the bad grandma, as I <laughs> refer to her. Okay, because he does play uh, frequently play an old woman character in the Jackass yes. pictures. Yes. He there's like an extended run in Jackass three point five. <laughs> Where there's a Jackass like, 3.5? <laughs> there's a Jackass 2.5, 3.5, and soon releasing 4.5 on Netflix. Oh, boy. Very excited. Haven't gotten the chance to roll out to the theaters and see Jackass forever. Uh, while I'm talking about movies, happy February, Uary, to all who celebrate. Oh, I guess this really, really dates it. But uh... <laughs> I was going to say, I think uh, I was planning on uh, having a special bit on our 420 episode. <laughs> <laughs> But it is this one, is what you're uh, well, realizing. That's that's what I was about to go and look up. Uh, well, you check on that intel. But yeah, so yes, there there are point fives of the Jackass films where they feature everything that they couldn't fit into the film, and so there's an extended bit in Jackass three point five featuring Spike Jones's old woman character, where essentially he gives an interview and is like. Yeah, I did a lot of stuff and none of it made it in. Uh, the main conceit seemed to be that like she was a fat woman this time is the primary oh, difference. Interesting. There is like a truly horrific bit in Jackass 2 where like the whole bit is just like she's an old woman and that or it is Spike Jones, of course, playing an old woman mm-hmm. um, in a Carl Havoc type situation. <laughs> uh, and then the bit is that like she gets she is getting dropped off somewhere and then her dress catches on the like on the car door that <laughs> drives away and tears her dress off and she's just like a nude woman and like an old woman in the street and everyone is so horrified uh sounds good i mean <laughs> much love to the jackass crew jeff tremaine all the rest mm-hmm. um of course this week david <laughs> obviously we are talking about the graphic novella embroideries uh, in French broderie. This, did you did you already broach this by saying it was Persepolis one point five? Is that what <laughs> prompted that whole conversation? <laughs> no, that is funny. Well, I, yes, I said I said it was the wake up Ron Burgundy of oh, oh, I Persepolis. See. Uh, but yes, it is it is a bit of a Persepolis two point five. But yes, released in two thousand three, the same year as Persepolis volume four. Yes. Uh, at least in English in 2005. Uh, I'm kind of surprised that this doesn't get collected with Persepolis. That as is a, interesting. As like a, it feels like it should be like the, like the complete Persepolis should also have this in it because it's like completely divorced from the narrative of 
Persepolis, much like many of its characters, completely divorced. Um, but... <laughs> But it is so like, you know, obviously like Margie and her mother and her grandmother are all central characters as are other members of their family. And it's very much about like being a woman in Iran. So I'm like, it's so thematically of a piece and it has, it revolves around the same characters or the same people really that I'm like, it doesn't really make sense that this doesn't just get like folded in. Yeah, it, that that is really interesting because the one thing that I really noticed is that it seems like she sort of goes out of her way to, like, avoid... And I guess it would just be her retelling her own stories in many ways, but, like, it really stuck out when they were, like... It was, like, they were talking about European men and, like, what mm-hmm. having, like, a European man as a lover is like. And I'm like, well, surely she has some thoughts on this matter. <laughs> like, she has, she has some experience in this realm. Uh, but we don't really see many of her thoughts. And... And, you know, it's obviously we don't get a ton of internality other than what, like, the women share. But it, it it was interesting to me that it really seemed like her sort of being a fly on the wall in many ways. And the one story she does share is of a friend, not of her. Mm-hmm. So it, it does feel very divorced from her story. And I think that is sort of why it feels like it's like these are the stories she wanted to tell, but maybe didn't fit in her story. Right the opposite of history i i love that you said right <laughs> that i finished talking and then you said right and then went to take a big drink <laughs> uh but yes so we should let's do this is gonna be a short one i imagine because yes. this comic is what 150 100, pages long 144 pages probably including like the title page <laughs> and like publishing information right um, i think i think instead of like recapping the um each individual story i want to read the inside cover flap because it's demented <laughs> all right just go right ahead with that uh, from the best-selling author of persepolis comes this gloriously entertaining and enlightening look into the sex lives of iranian women embroideries gathers together marjan's tough tough talking grandmother stoic mother glamorous and eccentric aunt and their friends and neighbors for an afternoon of tea drinking and talking Naturally, the subject turns to love, sex, and the vagaries of men. As the afternoon progresses, these vibrant women share their secrets, their regrets, and their often outrageous stories about, among other things, how to fake one's virginity, how to escape an arranged marriage, how to enjoy the miracles of plastic surgery, and how to delight in being a mistress. By turns revealing and hilarious, these are stories about the lengths to which some women will go to find a man, keep a man, or most importantly, keep up appearances. Full of surprises, this introduction to the private lives of some fascinating women whose life, stories, and lovers will strike us as at once deeply familiar and profoundly different from our own is sure to bring smiles of recognition to the faces of women everywhere and to teach us all a thing or two (laughs) that seems normal to me what is your beef with this it's okay first of all sure to teach us all a thing or two (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) but i but i think it's it's i feel like three paragraphs selling this is probably overkill perhaps yes, i feel certainly. like the, if it was just the first paragraph it's like boom good 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 summary it's just such a i don't know i feel like if i was reading the the flap of this after the first paragraph i'd be like sounds good by the time i got to the end i'd be like wait what is this it does sort of sell it a bit as like iranian first wives club which i guess it kind of is 
Um, I guess. But yeah, I, I think what, I think the part about, you know, that it, the saying at once deeply familiar and profoundly different from our own stories, I think that is, that is it actually a thought I had while reading this because I do think that that is exactly what it is. Like, it has, such a great degree of specificity because you know are, are did you assume that these were all real stories yes yeah i did too and i you know i don't see any reason or to think or at least or, like you know the rooted in real stories for sure yes that like that maybe the details were shifted but like the the general idea yeah. is the same yeah but yeah i i think that like i think that it does have that degree of specificity and i think you know it does capture a certain like specifically Iranian story in many ways in terms mm-hmm. of the culture and the place of women in society and things like that. But then also, you know, it is like a very universal experience, like this relationship between women and men and the differences between women and men and the way in which women are sort of expected to behave and how they sort of either resist against that or sort of have their own ways of sort of fitting into the mold that is expected of them, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like sort of cheating the system. Yeah. I I feel like probably the issue is that we're like almost 20 years removed from when this was written. And I feel like in the post-Persepolis world, the selling of like, you know, like Iran, pretty weird. But uh, in a lot of ways, they're just like us. (laughs) It's like such a, it's like so pat at this point, which is a testament probably to what, satrapy specifically accomplished with persepolis and Mm -hmm. and with this book um to at an extent as well although i think this is generally for no good reason a much less read and less regarded work but but yeah to like read that today i'm like (laughs) to (laughs) doy yeah i mean it is certainly i think your point is valid that it does maybe sort of try and foreignize uh their experiences a little bit but again like it is someone who is an immigrant from, you know, a non-Western nation. I think, you know, I think it's safe to consider Iran a non-Western nation in many respects. And, you know, sharing an experience of their home country. And so I do think that, you know, for many people, regardless of whether it's Iran or another, you know, African or Asian country, that those are experiences that a lot of people aren't familiar with. And, you know, I think I think there definitely was probably in like the late 90s and early 2000s, a little bit of that, like, globalization like you know you had joy luck club you mm-hmm. even had like memoirs First of the Geisha. Club. <laughs> yes uh but like yeah there, i feel like there was a lot of like world you know even like last samurai like there mm-hmm. was a lot of sort of world cinema that was like best exotic miracle hotel <laughs> <laughs> yes uh the hundred certainly... yard journey uh uh uh, uh hundred foot journey please hundred hundred foot journey what's the million million dollar fastball million dollar million dollar arm, arm. Yeah. yes very different those movie. are those are also much later than... <laughs> <laughs> yes those are all in the 2010s for sure but let's let's get into this so basically the overarching the superstructure of this book is that uh, as the cover flop alluded to it is sort of this uh it's like gossip hours mm-hmm. uh, where after a lunch, it's safe to say, yes. that like traditionally a the men luncheon. go and in... yes, there's a luncheon and the men go to take a nap and then the, the women like congregate and drink tea and talk about life. Uh, and yeah, I, I really like the way that she describes it as 
the uh, the ventilation of the heart. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's a great title drop in this uh, in <laughs> yeah, this book also, sure <laughs> where you get the full page splash of is it her aunt uh, drinking the tea and saying that they begin a long session of ventilation of the heart, and then you jump to the uh, the title drop, which is very good. Yeah, the the use of full page splashes in this, which is. Mm-hmm. not something she did at all as far as i can recall in persepolis like even during the biggest and most dramatic moments i was surprised at some points of when she chose to to do a full page splash yeah and there's, there's, there's a, a lot, lot of, of them yeah a lot of full page splashes a lot of like there isn't really a lot at all in terms of panel borders and things like that like a lot of times I mean, there's there's tons of cool things, honestly. Like, I'm just, like, paging through it right now, and there's so many, like, cool perspective shots and things like that. Like, there's this page of the grandma talking where... And a lot of times it'll be, you'll have the central character speaking, and then... And then they're all, all the kind other of, like, women looking up at them from either side. Yeah, all of the women responding, and then you can get a lot of cool, like, blocking or framing out of that. Yeah, uh, there, there's like one as well. I think I can't remember whose story it is, but they're arguing about something. And like the main figure is I think it's when the aunt is yeah. arguing about like yeah, the benefits exactly of being a mistress. And she's like a pinwheel. And you can like yeah. go around and like read, <laughs> read like the circular argument, basically. It's very cool. Um, but yeah, it does. It does use a lot of full splashes. I mean, like it's a very text heavy book, which makes sense because it is like essentially about stories. It's it's like um, a talking heads um album uh it's it's a lot of like talking heads scenes (laughs) which is always you know if you if you read like interviews with artists who are working with writers they'll often like sometimes jokingly sometimes not that jokingly complain about like when the writer basically just hits them with like a bunch of dialogue and like we've talked previously about like the wallywood panels that always work which are like basically when, when the writer has given you, like, five pages of, like, two people sitting down talking to each other, like, if you're trying to keep it visually dynamic, these are these are some options. But I think she does a really good job with it. I mean, obviously, because they're telling stories, having the option to jump to the action of the stories is helpful. But even then, the action of the stories is like, these other people were having a conversation in a different setting, <laughs> right? Like, they're not, they're not action-driven, per se. Yeah, it is it is all like it almost feels like a a novel or like a written work that's sort of being illustrated or accentuated by the art in a lot of cases. Like yeah. I mean, certainly when you when you get into more of the conversations when there's more of a back and forth, maybe it shifts to more of like a comic style. Mm-hmm. But when they're telling the stories for sure. Yeah, exactly. Like I'm looking at one page here where it's the woman who, you know, goes to Germany and her husband is having the affair where it's just this mm-hmm. a full pa- a full page splash like you said where it's depicting her looking out of the apartment window and seeing him with his lovers mm-hmm. and then it's basically just like a like a full like two paragraphs of text. Yeah. Uh, uh, often often in the stories it will be like basically one image and then like text kind of contextualizing it. Yeah. And then, you know, obviously you have, like with any visual illustration of a written work, you have, like, the opportunities to sort of depict metaphor in a very uh, sort of a more literal way. Like, there's the the splash of talking about the, the role of the mistress, and it's them, like, riding a horse together. <laughs> I thought that was a funny one. But yeah, and the, the art in general, I think, is very 
cartoonish in a very deliberate way it feels like like it mm-hmm. feels very sketchy yeah i was about to say like i think because there's no panel borders and and there's like kind of like the the color of the background is like not quite white like it's kind of creamy almost which it it feels like you are looking at like the actual pages of the notebook and these are all like all just sketches it exactly is is like I was just thinking kind of along those lines, like it feels almost like you're flipping through like a moleskin and like these are just like what's on each page. Yeah. And like, you know, obviously in black and white again, but then also like it has like these very deep blacks, like all the women are dressed in like full black clothing. Mm-hmm. So their like bodies are mostly just rendered as like full black. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of use of silhouette. You know, there's a lot of use of sort of like that stark black and white contrast. And then you have the the faces, which I find like very interesting because <laughs> they are like very unflattering faces. Uh, like Marjan. Yeah. Well, when she does like the whole nose job section, is hysterical. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's very good. And and Marjan, like it's funny because as soon as I saw her, I was like, oh, there she is, like from Persepolis. Uh-huh. Uh, so she looks like mostly the same, and her grandmother looks mostly the same. But like there there does seem to be like almost a deliberate choice uh for a lot of the characters to like render them in like not unflattering well maybe it maybe it is unflattering ways to a large degree like certainly there are probably ways to depict these women that do not look like quite as like deliberately i don't know what yeah it i think so much of it like so much of the book is about kind of like the normalization of like mm. what it is to like really be a woman basically in in Iran and so i think that she is very deliberately choosing to depict the women as they really are um and in some time like in some cases that means like a certain amount of faded beauty and because the like the art is so stark black and white and so like minimalist for the most part when she chooses to include like wrinkles, for example, on a face, mm-hmm. which otherwise has very few features, the wrinkles become like a big part of like the characterization of the face. And because it's such a heavy line and the blacks are so black, it makes it seem like all the wrinkles are like so, so deep that it really, mm-hmm. it really accentuates how like the, the aging basically that the women have experienced. So like her aunt Parveen, who is like, um, one of the one of the more central characters has like you know the crow's feet she's got some lines on her forehead she's got some lines around her mouth she's got some lines on her neck and if you compare that to to margie who has a grand total on her face of one two three four five six lines and three dots that's her whole face the grand or parveen has like probably close to 20 so that there's just so much more there that i think it causes like the 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 emphasis basically on like this is an old woman uh you know who has who has lived a life um and and it shows basically on her face yeah and i I almost feel like if she hadn't already done persepolis where she was like drawing herself a lot that 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 her like self-portraiture and like the character model for herself would maybe look different and look a little more like trying to be realistic and like not not accentuate but like present some of like what she perceives as flaws and things like that uh if she hadn't like done a more conventional work first Mm -hmm. 
I want to discuss the title briefly before we get too much further in, because mm-hmm. I read, you know, there's there's not a lot that has been written about this. I couldn't find a single interview that she has done about it that wasn't like on JSTOR and locked for, for institutions. And I say that like I'm currently enrolled in an institution and I didn't have access. So it's like, I don't know. I, I, I haven't read a single word that she has written about this project which maybe is like it's that's kind of interesting in a way at the the extent to which it speaks for itself because she also in the book itself does very little if any contextualizing but but what i have read which was all written by other people and mostly reviews or kind of like you know articleish analyses everyone is very fixated on the title embroideries because they talk about embroideries in the work itself referring to basically a surgical operation to <laughs> re-virginize someone. <laughs> that, that is how it's often presented. I saw some people refer specifically to um, hymenoplasties, which would be like hymen reconstruction. Of course, famously, there is the subplot in the Godfather novel about a woman needing to like have her vaginal walls reinforced. So like the, the particularities of the operation aren't really discussed in detail, but it's it's some sort of vaginal reconstruction that is done to um give the impression of virginity and and there's a lot of interest amongst people about like why is that also the title of the work and nobody really has like an answer (laughs) it seems like i was also thinking about it when when i got to that section of the book and like the reveal basically so to speak do you have any thoughts about what the intent is as far as titling it this when when we within it, you know, get this presentation of the embroidery as a euphemism for something that is linked very closely with the sexuality of Iranian women. Yeah, it's an interesting question that I'm just sort of thinking about now. Um, yeah, like you said, not a lot to research. No Wikipedia article is a huge kink in my research process. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it I think I think there is to some degree it is a reveal like that it is something that can that sounds very innocuous but ultimately refers to something that is like it because in many ways it is sort of like the ultimate example of like the role of women in society like the way you know they talk a lot about the idea of like virginity being prized and things like that and the sort of like the cover flap alludes to but maybe in a less elegant way of like <laughs> the lengths that women are expected to go to in order to maintain like this level of decorum or this level of purity that is sort of like double standard, like unfairly enforced upon them. Mm-hmm. And so I think that there is an element to that as well. Um, the cover or the, the title page in the book does have like the title presented on like you know a classic sort of piece of embroidery i forget what you call mm-hmm. that where it sort of looks like a drum like uh oh yeah i don't know what the drum thing like is a called. cross stitch or something some needlework uh, yeah some needlework i'm not familiar i'm not a very crafty person i imagine you're not uh either we with my fine about... motor skills <laughs> yes exactly <laughs> um but but that's something that interested me as well because you know you have this sort of idea of the this needlework or this embroidery maybe that's what it's called that (laughs) that it is sort of this thing that is associate you know you you sort of associate that with grandmothers or with mothers Mm -hmm. and it has this sort of 
familial sense to it, which I think is also part of it as well, that this in it's sort of like an heirloom or it's something that's being passed from one generation to another. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of a, a thematic element of the book as well, that it's sort of these women from different generations who have different viewpoints and are sort of passing down their viewpoints. And that's helping to inform the younger generations as well. So maybe that mm-hmm. is part of it as well. I'm, I'm even thinking just like, as we're talking about it, if it maybe is supposed to be sort of a punchline, considering that we get like, we referred to it as a reveal, but I wonder if punchline is maybe more appropriate mm. that the title embroideries, I feel like invokes a certain sort of like, maybe somewhat schmaltzy impression of what the book is going to yeah. be where it's like, Oh, like these women are going to like, you know, just gather and they're going to pass like wisdom from one generation to the next. And you, you kind of expect it to maybe, and it, and it, in a lot of ways it is a lot about like, you know, learning what, like it, what it means to be a woman and what life is, is sort of like. And then the punchline is like, yes, that is happening, but also it's like a euphemism for this, like this, this procedure that is so linked to, um, all these, these sort of, um, cultural idolizations of virginity and sexual expectations that are being subverted by all of the women and, and underneath sort of this veneer of something that seems very sort of like, you know, sugary and, and wholesome in a lot of ways. They are also just like telling like raunchy stories. <laughs> yeah. It is certainly like a, a more frank conversation than you might be prepared for. And I think, you know, we talk about, uh, I think we talked about in our Persepolis episode, how she, she really, you know, takes pains or maybe it's, she doesn't need pains, but it's very clear that she's not sort of depicting Iran as like a backwards nation or a regressive nation in terms mm-hmm. of culture and things like that. But I think that, you know, I think that the embroideries story you know, there's the part where the woman is asking the other woman who has been to Europe, like, what's the embroidery surgery like in Europe? Like, mm-hmm. it'll be much like more safe there. I think it is meant to sort of present it as a, a sort of a regressive element of society. And like the, the fact of the surgery. Yeah. And the fact that, you know, it exists in Iran, whereas in Europe, it like wouldn't even be thought of. And they do talk about like sort of the cultural differences and talk about how like the West has transcended sex, which is a very funny thing to think about. But yeah, I, I, I do think that that is a, an element of it as well, perhaps. Mm-hmm. I, I read a lot of people describe this writing like more recently as basically like a proto Me Too uh, story, which I found interesting because... Like, there's definitely elements of it there. Like, I, I definitely see where people are coming from in terms of, like, not all the stories are necessarily stories of, like, abuse, although there are certainly plenty. But the the notion of, like, creating a space for women to tell, like, true stories that are not sort of, like, concerned with, like, decorum or preserving their reputation or preserving someone else's reputation, just sharing sort of, like, the reality of what what their like sexual experience as women has been like and doing so in like the basically the value and the power of creating a space for it i I thought it was like an interesting read it certainly didn't occur to me while i was reading it yeah i mean it's certainly uh pretty inarguably like a feminist work and a work that you know i i was almost there was a moment where i was reminded 
of Portrait of a Lady on Fire, my favorite movie, mm-hmm. um, in the sense that, like, the presence of men, like, there, there's sort of a, a deliberate exclusion of men, even though in this book, the discussion often revolves around men, whereas in Portrait of a Lady on Fire, it's sort of, like, very clear that, like, men are, like, sort of removed from the equation. But it did remind me of that movie in this in the way that, like, you deliberately exclude men and, and, you know, you have this place where women can share with each other in like this sort of intimate way. And then you end the movie with like bringing the men back into the picture. And you're like, Whoa, why is there a man here? <laughs> What's he doing like here? Yeah, yeah. I was, uh, I was like amusingly reminded of my manness because that, that like <laughs> the tidbit, like the, the part you mentioned at the very beginning where they say basically like talking behind others backs is the ventilator of the heart. I was like, haha, like so funny these women are like so catty and like so real and then i was like reading this review where it was like the men behind whose backs they are talking and i was like (gasps) (laughs) wait a second (laughs) these stories are about the men not about like because because the first story is someone relating like this happened to my friend uh in in a way that is like kind of more in that gossipy mold but it's true that really the people behind whose backs they are talking are primarily the men in the stories because the women themselves feature in most of them to some extent or another but but it's behind the backs of the men who are in the stories and in a lot of ways like behind the backs of the institution that has made it so that like this is the space in which sharing these stories is actually possible and safe and and the only place where they can really do so yeah and and it's interesting to think about it you know in the context of it as a a a me too work quote-unquote because like i think almost what is subversive about it in some ways and and would even be subversive now and to some degree is the way that it it feels so real in the term in terms of like you said like the stories are not all about abuse the stories are not all about women being treated badly by men but at the same time the stories that are about women being treated badly by men like it's it's all placed under this implicit understanding or acceptance of the role that women are occupying in culture whether it's iranian culture or like culture in general that like there is there is like an implicit understanding that there are these expectations for women and you know they might say like it sucks that i have to do this and this but there is sort of that like understood shared experience which is another thing that i love about portrait of lady on fire is that like it gets to like And it goes back to this idea of it's specific and yet relatable, which Mm -hmm. is that, like, there is this sort of shared understanding between women that I don't think really exists between men, where it's, like, women understand the place that they occupy within, like, society and have this sort of innate shared bond with other women because, you know... Even even if you don't know someone, you know that they have probably shared some things that like only a woman can understand in some mm. ways. Yeah, I I was like kind of kind of wrestling with how people read this, like you know, primarily American and other other like Western reviewers or readers, where in in the context of kind of talking about the the like Me Too stuff, and sometimes even people who didn't mention it at all were were writing about it. But it feels like it's read in a similar way to Persepolis in a lot of ways by people who look at it and primarily take away like, wow, like th- their lives must be so difficult and so like 
tragic. And I was like, that's not really the vibe of the book. And like, like lots of focus on like laughter is like the only way that like we can process trauma. And it's like, there's definitely an element of that, but I don't, I don't know, maybe, maybe it's not my place to like comment on, but I don't really feel like for the most part, these women are like processing trauma. And I think like it, there's a, there's a way in which almost like she is writing a book that is about sort of like the, the, you know, the systematic oppression of women is certainly like a, an undercurrent that is through the entire thing. But it, I think it is much more so like, I, th- I think she's more focused on the like, these characters should be familiar than she is on the these characters should feel different in that like, it might be like different in terms of the particulars of like how these women relate to men in their lives or what the consequences of like acting outside of what kind of the, the patriarchal dictates are, but the ways in which they are able to like share these things and laugh about these things and like basically like find, find joy in the, and humor in their lives. I feel like it's, I don't know. What do you think? Do you think there is like an element of trauma that isn't meant to be sort of like read into, into this book or, like I just a lot of the stuff I read felt very sort of like pitying and I was like I don't think that any of these women as depicted would want pity or even really like sympathy like they're they're entertaining each other they're telling stories that are meant primarily not true of all of them but primarily they're meant to be like funny yeah and and you even open the book with that little anecdote where her grandmother is addressing her grandfather as satrapy because like she has this respect for him. And so I think in a lot of ways that it's also about the way in which, you know, like that, that I think it sort of presents pros and cons, right? Mm -hmm. Because it is also sort of implicitly and in some points explicitly a comparison between Iranian culture and European culture and I think that, you know, once again, she's not taking it, she's not taking the tack of, like, in Iran, it's like this, whereas in Europe, like, where people are liberated, it's like this. Like, I think it just presents differences. And I think the primary example of that is, like, the when they talk about an arranged marriage, because I feel like that's something you hear about a lot, weirdly. Like, I know Aziz Ansari has, like, an extended bit about it, that, like, arranged marriages are you know, can be successful and, Mm -hmm. you know, people can have happy marriages that come about as arranged marriages. And I feel like that's something, you know, you sort of hear a lot from people who live in cultures where arranged marriages are more common. And I think that that's Mm -hmm. something that gets brought up in the book that like, yeah, they, they like one of the characters is firmly like, I married for love and it was bad. Like you should like arranged marriage is the way to go basically. Yeah. And so I, I think that in a lot of ways, maybe like the book is, it's not about trauma. I mean, I, I certainly think it is an indictment of like a system which oppresses women, certainly. But I think in terms of the characters themselves, like I, I, I don't think it's them processing trauma. Like I think it is them like just sort of being able to see, cause you know, it's like they say in life, what in life, like in marriage or whatever, that like, you can have the best, you know, foundation and it still ends up bad. So, you know, you sort of have to roll the dice to some degree, no matter what direction you go. And so I think that in some ways it's sort of like, no matter what happens, and it can be a happy thing, it can be a sad thing, it can be like a horrible thing, but like we still either, you know, we find something to take from it, whether it's we find joy, we find laughter, we find like a lesson or something that that is sort of what 
the the women are doing that they're not you know again like they're not like giving each other hugs or like crying over anything Mm -hmm. they're laughing and so it's like you're taking something and also i think that there is among some characters and certainly like that the age differences i think are, are an important part of the book that you have these generational gaps where you have like the grandmother who is maybe more accepting of like the existing social structure and it and does think like well like a wife should respect her husband and things like that and then you you know you have the more diverse viewpoints as you sort of trickle down yeah i was um i was reading an article about it by um someone who has like taught it um for a course uh let me see who is the person to whom i am referring gabrielle bellet or below Anyways, and she linked to an article by uh, Habib Jafarian, who is an Iranian journalist, uh, who wrote basically about, like, existing as a a woman in Iran. And I found it to be a very interesting, um, like, kind of counterpiece to both Persepolis and especially to this book, which was kind of the context in which it was introduced. She was saying, like, basically, I teach these two texts, like, kind of alongside each other. Because she writes about basically like what being asked about like why she stays in Iran when she does not like basically align with a lot of the values that are enforced. She very much is, is kind of a, you know, living, living outside of the expectations in a lot of ways. And she says, uh, basically, she says, I find myself being censored by my own milieu for bothering to stay at all and for bothering to fight it out because this is a fight. And if women do, like me don't stay, then nothing will ever change. But I don't mention this to all of the close friends who vacation in Iran or to those quote unquote writers who take their grand tour of the country before writing their memoirs about us poor folk, which I kind of was like, is that a shot? So <laughs> she's throwing shade. Um, Anyways, but she continues, because truly it is not their fight, it is not their issue. Instead, when expatriate friends ask why I don't leave Iran, I lie and tell them I don't have the patience uh, to speak in any language other than Persian. Um, I've decided this is the perfect answer because it's an answer that is neutral and does not force one to qualify the reply with one's gender. Which I was like, yeah, I I was very kind of like struck by, I think that is, is sort of like, a virtue that in a lot of ways Marjan is kind of celebrating in the women who are there, because obviously we know that not long basically after this, this, you know, fictional luncheon or, or fictionalized, I assume luncheon would have taken place. She then returns to Europe and becomes one of those expatriates. But I think what she really wants to emphasize is that like these women exist and like they live in Iran and, And it's like Iran is a better place because these women are there. And like, yes, it's it's not great that they kind of have to, you know, rely on these sorts of spaces that are kind of private and in some ways sort of secret um, in order to to be the kind of women who initiate change. But if they weren't there, then it just it wouldn't be happening. And so, like, even thinking about the section with... um, Hushang where where like you know he the guy who moves to Germany and then 
and then she moves there with him and is kind of surprised to find like oh it's a completely dilapidated apartment and um and he's like carrying on affairs with various women and it, it that sort of balance of like it, you know I think people are tempted to to read this and read Persepolis and be like, wow, how could anyone ever stay? Like, I'm so happy for her that she was able to like leave and thrive elsewhere. And I think she just, basically she just does a very good job of presenting and it would be the same as in the, um, like the Vienna section of Persepolis, like, mm-hmm. which we discussed there as well. It's not, it's not all like sunshine and roses just to like go and, and leave and go to Europe. And, there's an element of the culture that is you leave behind the parts of the culture that you don't like. You also leave behind some of the elements of the culture that are very valuable to you. And it's a decision that kind of has to be weighed about like, which parts am I most comfortable or uncomfortable with, or which parts do I, do I like, how do I basically, how do I balance those scales? Yeah. It's sort of like, which parts can I not live without or to some extent, or which can I not live with? And I, I think to your point, the reason and what I like about her work a lot is that it sort of resists, it resists obvious sort of thematic pigeonholing. And I think the reason that it resists that is because it doesn't make the characters symbols of something. Like, the, it's like the, the ant is not like, oh, like the ant is this type of woman who thinks this and like wants to do this. Mm-hmm. It's like, she's just a person <laughs> and every character is just a person and every character has their own viewpoints and pretty much never that I can remember in the book is like someone's viewpoint depicted as being like, you're wrong. And I think that that is like, just like makes the book feel so much more like whole is that it has like, you know, it has discussion. It has disagreement. It ha it presents, it presents pros and cons and neutrals. (laughs) Like Mm -hmm. it, it presents pros and cons without being like, here's one column and here's one column that it's sort of, it's all mixed up together, and the way, and so, like, yeah, the, the, it's sort of that you can't divorce, like, you can't just pick and choose the parts that you like and get rid of the parts you don't like. Like, maybe to some extent, the social structures in each country, and again, I I'm, I'm, don't want to <laughs> tread into ground that I'm entirely <laughs> unfamiliar with talking about Iranian cultural uh, experience here, but, like, maybe there are elements of, like, this more conservative or more structured social structure that like can be beneficial towards women and things like that and so i think that like yeah that the way she is only ever presenting like stories whether it's herself or other people and the you know the themes or the the morals of the story you kind of have to take for yourself or you have to decide which which side of it you stand on right yeah it's it's like the the whole Husheng um, and uh, and I think her name is Amini or Amine um, section. I I find it's very like kind of thought provoking about you know basically cultural cultural differences and culture shock because it's like on the one hand you know her husband is is sort of taking advantage of the freedoms that he enjoys in Europe by carrying on these affairs and it's tempting to potentially think like, you know, Oh, if they were in Iran, like that would be behavior that he could never get away with um, in, in the same way. Like it would be socially reprehensible. 
and yet we also see men like getting away with it all the time like many of the women talk about their husbands having affairs uh or or being the other woman uh you know that one i think aunt parveen again extols the virtues of being a mistress and so it's like well but it's not that those things don't happen there without consequences either but you know there there's Maybe it's the like the safety of the shared experience uh, of of being an Iranian woman that at least when she's in Iran, she can gather together with her friends and be like, my husband's a dirtbag. Listen to this story about, you know, what like what he was doing behind my back while we were in Berlin and have a bunch of other women around who are like, we understand like the community is is there and has the shared experience. Whereas like if you go to Europe where you become an outsider does that community exist how do you find it like you know it's it they're just interesting interesting thoughts that are uh, that are provoked yeah and and we see that again like in the vienna portion of persepolis as well where like it be you know people don't understand like you can't understand iranian culture unless you have like been in that experience and sort of have that like insider perspective on it and I think like to to what I was saying earlier that that is sort of what makes the characters more rich that like like the the characters like for example I think it's the aunt who talks a lot about like sort of the idea of like being a divorced woman and sort of arguing that that offers you freedom in some ways like she's not saying that because like she's not she's not like a women's rights activist like she's mm-hmm. just a woman and she wants her life to be as good as it can be. And so she has this perspective that like is like positive towards her life state. And so, and that's sort of what informs differing viewpoints that it's not like, it's not an ideological debate. It is a, I want my life to be this way debate. Yep. Do we, do we want to talk about, we've, we've already, you know, we're, we're, we're trucking. We, we said an hour, but, uh, or cruising. Do we want to talk about specific uh, stories? Here? I was we just want about to, talk to about ask testicle? you, do you have a favorite story? I like the one where the, where she has the big wedding and then her husband like steals all of her jewelry <laughs> and runs away to Europe. I think that's like very funny and like incredibly cruel. Of course, you know, I feel like we have to talk about uh, if, if I could do my Jawa impression for a oh, moment. Oh, boy. Yeah. We okay. have to talk about uh, the uh, uh, Kumtiki. <laughs> I was just looking at that one and thinking that one might be my favorite. It's like it is grotesque in a way that I usually enjoy. Uh, uh, I have just particularly like particularly like when she tries to get him to drink the tea and he's just like, I'm more in the mood for a cold Coke. <laughs> oh, I thought he said a cold cake. The the <laughs> sorry, I'm just paging through now and looking Ooh. at different parts, but the the part in the, the with the jewelry thief, thief husband where <laughs> where she where like she has the picture of the husband and he's so ugly. And then, <laughs> oh and yeah, she is like it's like it's like the classic like nerd character in a TV show where it's like how could I resist him? And yeah. then she has this and, picture. He's so like obviously grotesque. All the other women are just like, yes, he's very. Uh, distinct (laughs) (laughs) yes uh the grandmother describes him as seductive (laughs) (laughs) how do you say seductive (laughs) yeah and and like yes the idea that it's like she was like the reason that she was so fooled by this man is because like he was so handsome Uh that like she believed everything she said and she loved him so much uh is very funny to me as well but yes uh the cum tiki (laughs) Uh as i like to call it 
Well, what, I mean, what is there to say? I mean, it's it's very funny. I also like the story that's right after that one about, about, the, plastic about the woman. Surgery? Yeah, the woman who like gets liposuction uh, from her hiney, has it inserted into her breasts, and then laughs and says, "Every time he's kissing my breasts, he's actually kissing my ass." It's like a great yes. punchline to that story. That is, that is also very much like a punchline. That's like it's it's not like a punchline that would be in a stand-up comedy set but it would like bring down the house in like a circle of friends having yeah. a conversation oh, yeah, yeah. like <laughs> i always say this and everyone's like <laughs> <laughs> uh, the grandmother gives it a bravo <laughs> <laughs> uh, and i mean like you know we we love uh we love seeing these characters again especially uh, margie and the grandma mm-hmm. Another uh, something that I was sort of thinking about just as we're discussing this is like the way that it shies away from or yeah, quite deliberately, I imagine it's not about politics. It's not about religion. It's not about like the state of Iran. It's not about the war. Mm-hmm. Like it, all, all these things that Persepolis is about in a lot of ways, like it it's very deliberate in the way that it drills down on like this one specific topic. And I think that's sort of why, like, it is in some ways separate from Persepolis for me. Like, I mean, and also, like, you could do a whole series about, like, of these books where it's just, like, women talking about different topics. Mm-hmm. Um, but but I did find it interesting the way in which, like, it almost entirely eschews any mention of politics or any mention of the war. Yeah, it's it's like if it wasn't for some of the like distinct cultural elements, as far as like the preparation of the tea and then like, you know, obviously every time they leave the house, like, or, or show the women outside the house, they're donning veils, things like that. But like you could make a few like fairly quick changes and like not have anyone realize where it was set basically. Yeah. In in some ways. Yeah. Which I think gets back to the idea of, like these are common experiences even if like you know the idea of being at a wedding and there's a picture of the husband instead of an actual <laughs> husband like that probably would not happen in uh, in the society that we live in but uh but like you know you you feel that sort of like common sensibility mm-hmm. well it's it's authentic right and i think that as much as it's like yeah, in a lot of ways, it's probably difficult to imagine for people who have like grown up in North America and never like never moved between countries or let alone between continents. It's like it's kind of hard to imagine. But I would not be surprised if like that's that's something that like a lot of immigrants from a lot of cultures are like, oh yeah, like I've I've seen like you know this might be like kind of a hyperbolic example, but. I like I know people who like they got married and then he left the next day and like they didn't see each other again for like, you know, two years or or, like eight months or whatever. Or like there was this whole big to do celebrating them. And then like I realized he wasn't even there. And I was like, oh, what what are we even doing? You know, stuff like that, that I think. Yeah, it just it just in cultures where like being an expatriate is a, a very common experience or or like a lot of people do choose to leave these stories become a lot more a lot more common and i think that it is probably relatable in in a lot of ways yeah absolutely do we want to talk about sort of the the place that this occupies within her broader you know combo bibliography slash filmography because i do find it interesting that 
this really is not, you know, it, it doesn't have a Wikipedia article. And I guess part of it is because it's short, but I don't, you know, we haven't read Chicken with uh, Chicken with Plums yet. Mm-hmm. But that's not a long No, I believe work, it's a it? similar length. Oh, it's even shorter. It's under 100 pages. There so you have it's, it. Oh, but that's it's, it's accompanied by a theme. Yeah. And I think, you know, but then it's like, how did that become a film? And I, you know, I... Well, she's the I, director, right? Yeah, she, I think it's animated as well. So she's a co-director. But like, you know, like someone still had to finance the movie and like it still had to get pitched and all that stuff. <laughs> Sorry, and I just it's... scrolled down to the, <laughs> the Ugly Husband's first big close-up. <laughs> <laughs> The, the picture and the way that like it, it's he that he is presented like the 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 mustache it's like she's holding and like out the a polaroid teeth and, yeah oh, the like upside down and the, yes and the misshapen eyes it is amazing the way that it's presented like you see him sideways <laughs> and so you have to tilt your head to look at him because like you see him at first you're like this guy looks weird and then you tell your head you're like oh he really looks oh weird. and like when you see him in person the first time like at the wedding <laughs> it's the full the full brunt of the effect is really on display yeah um but yeah like the way it's 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 just very fascinating to me because like this does feel like i mean like i think this is like a major work for her like i think this is like a really terrific read and i would almost recommend it to someone before i would recommend persepolis just because like it's a very easy read. It's a very sort of self-contained read. It's a quick read, mm-hmm. but then it also like, it is so rich in the ways that, and, and, and more subtle in some ways, partially just because like she has laid so much of the groundwork in Persepolis. Like it, I think it does expect you to have some level of understanding about like the way that culture operates in Iran. Like there are a few sort of footnotes where it's talking about like, well in Iran it's customary to do this. And so that's why they're talking about this. Like, there are those kinds of conversations, but that's pretty much the extent of it. And so I I think it has, like, that creates a level of subtlety where, like, it's not like, well, here in Iran, things are like this, and so mm-hmm. I feel this way. Like, you understand that their uh, feelings are being informed by their experiences without having to have their experiences so explicitly spelled out in that way. Yeah, I, I do kind of wonder... It would be great if there were any interviews with her about anything other than Persepolis or like radioactive. I do wonder if like the, the not not to say like this book is not a failure. It won awards in France, but I, I do wonder if the fact that it came out so close to Persepolis only to sort of like kind of vanish in terms of cultural impact is part of what kind of encouraged her to look more towards film as a as a medium that she wanted to work more with as the opportunities started to appear there um i know like she started doing children's books as well around this time like i do kind of wonder if there was a feeling of like well if like kind of in the the comics world i am just like sort of the persepolis lady then like maybe i don't want to pursue comics as like my primary number one thing if 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 it's always going to kind of be defined by this one work that was my first work, even though I feel like, yeah, like I, I agree with you to an extent that sort of like some of the storytelling and some of the just just what this book accomplishes is in a lot of ways, I think, more subtle and more artful and um and at like I think every bit as readable and entertaining as Persepolis, but without the baggage of having to kind of like explain a culture 
to another culture. So yeah, it's, it, it, I, I can't, I, I'm not sure what really to make of it because it does seem to be such a forgotten thing. And yet it's so, like I said, if I, if I was in charge of like publishing at Pantheon or whoever is the, is the English publisher for Persepolis these days, like this would just be in complete Persepolis as like a, like a coda. Yeah. And I, I think that, yeah, it, it sort of makes more sense now thinking about the, like, I think part of your reason for wanting that is because like, a, because like, you know, there are obviously some, uh, story and thematic shared DNA there, but also like, because it's like, well, like this is an important work and like, yeah. we shouldn't be ignoring this. And so like, you know, even if it's not sort of, maybe it's not big enough in terms of it's, whether it's like the scope or just, you know, what it is, like obviously Persepolis is sort of an epic in some ways in the way that it sort of goes through an entire life. But yeah, like I, th- I think that even if it's not sort of robust enough to stand on its own, you know, in terms of, you know, the broader literary view of it, because, uh, you know, certainly as a work, I think it stands on its own wonderfully, but that, that it should be talked about, or it should be part of what we talk about when we talk about her work. Uh, if I can paraphrase Raymond Carver, uh, Raymond but yeah, it, Chandler, it's... Raymond Carver, or yes. Raymond Chandler. Good question. Why don't you work on that and I'll vamp away. Um, but no, but, but to go back to Raymond what I was Carver, you win. Yippee! Who am I thinking of? There's a Chandler. There's a someone Chandler who wrote like the Big Sleep. Uh, yeah, he has to move the freaking couch. Uh, yeah, he has to pivot. Nice. He married Monica. Uh, no, Ray- Raymond Chandler is a person. Yes, Raymond Carver is like a short story writer, and Raymond Chandler is like yeah. The hard Raymond world. Chandler. Raymond Chandler wrote the Big Sleep. <laughs> there you have yeah, it. No, no one was denying this. Uh, there's uh, a there's a good reason for the confusion. But to go back to my original point, yeah. I think that you know like. You know, obviously, Chicken with Plums has a movie made about it. That was a couple of, uh, a few years after the fact. Mm-hmm. And also, like, you know, this maybe, even if it doesn't maybe have enough to sustain, like, a 90-minute movie, it this could be, like, this would be an awesome, like, 25-minute show. Oh, yeah, it would be a great, or, or like, yeah, it, like, um, an animatrix-type project, <laughs> as crazy as that feels like to Like an invoke. anthology with yeah, different... Yeah, like, like an anthology and let different different directors and different kind of like different production houses and stuff take a crack and and put their own sort of style on each story like i do think i do think that you know not that comics need to be adapted but i do Mm -hmm. think that this one would be easy to do and and yeah i i the more i think about it the more i feel like this would flow really nicely directly out of persepolis because persepolis ends as we talked about kind of abruptly with the death of her grandmother um, or, or her kind of like reflecting that like that was the second last time I saw my grandmother. She died at this time. And then like black page. And then if you turn the page and it's embroideries, you know, Marjan Satrapi, and you go right into it like, like grandma's back and is kind of like in focus as <laughs> like, if, you what know, if that was the subtitle? <laughs> uh, Persepolis three colon grandma's home. Um, <laughs> sure. But, but like, it opens with this reflection again on her grandmother and in a lot of ways, like kind of different and more like clear eyed in some ways than she's presented in Persepolis where it's like, Hey, also, by the way, she was like kind of an opium addict. (laughs) Like, don't talk to me until I've had my opium. (laughs) 
but it like opens with this like reflection on her in it like through the eyes of an adult more so than is kind of how we see her in Persepolis mm-hmm. and then kind of expands into and she, like she was one of many women who were in my life kind of like at that time and they were all you know they were they were people and they had their lives and and this is what their lives were like basically yeah I think that that's a great point that we see, you know, we see adult characters depicted in a different way than we do in Persepolis. That, like, they are more peers of Marjan rather than being, like, you know, these sort of figureheads, a representative of a world that she doesn't understand. Like, she is more of an active participant and, like, has had the life experience to sort of understand, uh, understand these women as well. Yeah. But... Yeah, I mean, it's just, it's very, it's just very interesting to me, just because, like, and like you said, it came out the same year as the last edition of Persepolis, like the volume four, because it was released in four parts in French, and then comes out the same year. It's just, it's interesting to me that this is sort of the one that falls through the cracks. And I guess maybe because it's not, maybe almost because it's not as about Iran in the same way that Persepolis and, you know, we haven't read Chicken with Plums yet. We haven't seen either of the films, but my understanding is that Chicken with Plums is like a historical, a work of like historical fiction or it's about her, about about a relative of hers. Yeah, it's about like her great uncle, I think. Right. And so, you know, maybe just because it doesn't have that same sort of historical element and it's not... It's the way that it depicts culture and depicts sort of like the culture clash of Iran and sort of the the the, the paradox of Iran in some ways or the the uh, the contradictions of Iran. The way it presents them is like we were saying, like it's more subtle. It's more baked into what you know, what their discussions are about rather than it being like the the text or the focus. Mm-hmm. And so maybe that's what causes people to sort of not regarded as much like especially in like america where you know sort of to some degree the appeal is this is like the comic book about iran yeah but that, but it's like but in in so many ways like it feels more it feels more rich like it it it, mm-hmm. it adds to your understanding of persepolis because it's like we're not just talking about like this is what happened at this time like we're seeing a life through that lens, which right. I think, you know, and Persepolis does that as well to a large extent, but like, but that is presented more of uh, as a saga. And it's about the way that political circumstances and cultural circumstances impact her life at, at specific times, even. Mm-hmm. And so in this book, it's more about like, it is certainly about that as well, the way that culture affects their lives, but it is more of like, you know, my life is this way and, you know, we don't really talk about like why specifically this happens this way in Iran mm-hmm. and how it relates to like religion and all of that stuff. Yeah. I, I do also think that just as far as kind of like her place within the comics industry that we talked about a bit with the last episode, like I think that is a factor here as well, where like we talked a bit about her legacy and like, of course, you know, uh, Persepolis, like the that there's not like an Iranian Persepolis, at least not kind of like officially. So the impact that it can have there is like, 
you know, just reduced by virtue of, of the censorship of it. We don't really know about what her, her impact is in the European scene. And then in, in America, she occupies a tricky place in the market where like Persepolis isn't like my first comic. It's, it's more of like a my only comic. So the people who read Persepolis uh, are either coming from kind of a more literary place where it's it's very much like you'll you'll never see Iran the same way again and like you, you won't believe what she accomplishes as a comic book or they are they are comic fans who are like this is a classic of the medium I need to read it but they probably approach what they read in a more sort of like you know coming coming from the more genre and especially the more sort of superhero background where if you're kind of like I want to get into Marjan Satrapi then you look and it's kind of like oh she has like three books and it not not to say that like it that's like it's weird own sort of t- deterrent for a certain type of reader where they're like oh i kind of was like wanting to dive into something in the same way that people set out to like read like every spider-man comic or like i really wanted to get into like the jonathan hickman like marvel you know it was someone mm-hmm. who's used to approaching comics in that way if they check out Persepolis, it's it's almost like homework in some ways because it is so different from those types of stories. And I feel like a lot of people know it mostly as like a classic of the medium and like you, a hundred comics you must read before you die type of like beat rather than as like just a good, a good comic. And so if you read it and are like, that was a good comic, where do I get more like good comics by this person? It's kind of, and then it's like kind of hard to find. It's not really well known. Um, like you almost have to do research to even find out that it exists, if that mm-hmm. makes sense. Like it's, it's, for, she has such a small bibliography and yet it is so difficult to even like kind of find out what else she has written because as a cartoonist, her career is sort of defined by Persepolis and like you need to have the drive to like kind of dig deeper in order to find out about it in some ways. And yet she is not the kind of creator who tends to appeal to the kind of readers who have that impulse to dig deeper. Yeah. I mean, like that's, that's the conceit of this podcast to a large extent. Like, I think that like, you know, when we were trying to block out this mini series, we were like, Oh, this is actually like 10 pages long. I'm like, Oh, this is actually like not. Yeah. This like is we not, were, like, we were originally going to do the sigh. And then I looked and I was like, Oh, this is 30 pages. <laughs> it's like, we can't, we can't do a full episode where we talk about these 30 pages. Although, you know, we, I'm sure we could try. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, like I, even when I, you know, I think, because we, I went in at least knowing like virtually nothing about her, and you know, I, to to some extent, the one of the reasons that I wanted to do her, like you know, not just because like we wanted to do a female creator, we wanted to do a person of color, but then also I was like, well, like this is a nice short one, <laughs> like, and that was like that did inform a lot of my thinking to some extent. You know, I obviously like I feel very differently now, and like especially after reading this, like it makes her feel like more like like a more complete artist to me because like you know she is so defined by Persepolis and Persepolis is such a personal work that I think it would be easy to almost write her off in some respects like the way that people write off like you know sort of outsider artists in general and the way that like you know like there I think there is a certain class of artist especially one who only has like one major work or one work that really penetrates the public consciousness that 
they are sort of regarded as like, well, like they basically like by accident made a good thing. <laughs> it's like the way they're treated. Often. Yeah, I I do wonder if she is sometimes viewed as like a one trick pony in some ways. If people are like, oh, another book by the person who did Persepolis. What's it about? Oh, women in Iran, huh? Like I've kind of <laughs> I've kind of had my fill of like Iran stuff. Does she have anything where like? I don't know they go to space or something um <laughs> like like i do wonder if there is an element of that at play where it's kind of like like almost a bit of tokenism in a way where it's like yeah. oh you know she wrote this uh really good comic about iran and like you you gotta check it out what else has she done oh another good comic about iran well I kind of already read my Iran comic, so yeah, I'm uh, my Iran con. Um, so <laughs> I'm I'm gonna like give that one a pass, and and even if it is to go and pursue more sort of like literary comics or, or other things, it's kind of like, well, no, I already checked that box on the like you know hundred comics you must read before you die, and now I need to go track down like blankets or whatever. Yeah, it's it is very interesting, and and like you know, to sort of the idea that. You know, we were talking about, you know, whether this could be adapted as a film and things like that. And I think that, you know, like you were saying, Persepolis is a sort of, it's a very, it's a comic that I think people often talk about and I think is often read in the same way that a novel or a movie might be read, which is often a contrast to the way that people normally like talk about comics and consume comics, partly because it's a self-contained thing and in the yeah. same way that a novel or a film would be, which is not always the case with popular comics. Uh, but then, but then like to, to again, compare the two, you have Persepolis, which is, you know, a very clear, the plotting of Persepolis is so clear. Like it yeah. is about her life. And so it starts when she's a kid and then she grows up. Like it's a coming of age story. She comes of age like three different times and then <laughs> she's an adult. Um, whereas with this, like it's so much more of a vibe piece mm-hmm. and like, you know, like you said, it's very vignette and it's very, you know, there's not a clear, like, plot line. Like, you can't you can't talk about the plot of this. Like, right. it's like they talk about one thing and then they talk about another thing. <laughs> the, the and then plot eventually is the like, conversation ends. Yeah, a group of friends hang out and tell stories. <laughs> yeah. And so, like, I think it maybe, and again, I, I don't really think, like, I don't think that the content of this really had anything to do with why people don't talk about it. Because, mm-hmm. like... I think if anyone read it, they would immediately be like, this is great. Um, and so I do think that it is sort of like a, a zeitgeist thing or a marketing thing where it just like happened to not hit. Yeah, but I, I was thinking about recently and, and uh, you know, discussing on the Reddit. Um, like that, one does. Huh? Yes, like one does. Um, that this is like kind of a common fate that befalls original graphic novels even ones that are like extremely popular and critically acclaimed if they don't make the jump to that sort of like instant modern classic like persepolis level then they are buzzy for like a year and then the like best comics of like 2014 list comes out and then you just like never hear about them again where it's like if you if you see the name and you were like kind of following like comics discourse at the time you might remember like oh yeah like that was supposed to be really good but you will like you'll never see someone on like you know like the CBR forums or the comic book subreddit or whatever come in and be like i just read like my favorite thing is monsters for the first time and it was amazing and it's like 
it is amazing. It like won a bunch of Eisners. It was like all the hotness in like 2017. Have not seen anybody say like a single word about it since then, even though it is a like a modern masterpiece. B like such a weird story where like the creator like graduated from like a Chicago fine art institution and like was working on like all kinds of different projects and then like came out with this debut graphic novel when she was like 48 and it was like a huge thing and there was like it almost didn't get released because the shipment like got of the printed books like got lost in the Philippines and there's supposed to be a second volume that just like there hasn't been any news about since it came out basically it it's and yet it's like completely undiscussed even though like other like for example i i have often thought that um i kill giants which was adapted into a movie and thus like enjoyed kind of a resurgence in popularity will often get recommended or get brought up where people will be like it's you know it's this story of like a young girl wrestling with her mother's cancer diagnosis um which is also an element of my favorite thing is monsters where I'm like, my favorite thing is monsters. Does it better? Like a lot better. <laughs> I think that like I kill giants is like a B minus version of my favorite thing is monsters. But when you see someone ask for like, what's like a comic that has like melancholy or like, what's a good comic about like wrestling with grief or, you know, when people come in looking for recommendations, people will say I kill giants because for whatever reason, that's the one that has kind of like, locked in to like the public consciousness as like Mm -hmm. the good cancer grief comic and i think that in the same way persepolis is like one of the like good graphic memoirs and one of the like good international comics and you know it it checks off like various niche boxes of those but you know embroideries falls more into that category of a really good comic that there's no good reason not to talk about, not to read, not to recommend, but because it, for whatever reason, never got that foothold in people's brains as like the, like the good feminist comic or whatever. It it just then is like disappears off the face of people's consciousnesses and like never gets talked about again. Yeah. Um, first of all, I wanted to say that it's sort of like the jeopardy tournament of champions in 2017, in the sense that it was buzzy for walk. a year. Okay. <laughs> I was going to say, this is a long walk to whatever punchline you're going to. <laughs> uh, but but yeah, I think you're absolutely right. Like, And that's a thing that I encounter and, you know, that's not something I struggle with, but I feel like people do struggle with it in the movie world mm-hmm. where, like, you know, the, the canon is such a weird thing and it's so strange the ways in which some works become canonized and others sort of slip through the cracks. Like there's so many factors beyond just like the, you know, if you want to call it the objective quality or the consensus quality Mm -hmm. of a work that like that has so little bearing, I feel like it, you know, there's obviously a baseline sort of level of quality you can expect, but you know, it's, it can be a self-fulfilling prophecy in a lot of ways where like something ends up on a list and yeah. like that makes it important and so people read it and you know it and then it becomes more important because it's, a lot of people read it yeah or or you know it's groundbreaking at that time and so it's like well you got to see this because it's like you know it's something new it's never been done before it was the first thing to blah 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 where like i'm thinking of like kind of parasite as a comparable and and probably mm-hmm. bong is like a good sort of 
I, I, he's probably got more of a successful foothold in in North America as a result of Parasite than Satrapy ever achieved. But I suspect that for a lot of people, it would be a similar thing of like, oh yeah, Parasite, like that was awesome. Like loved that movie. And it's like, oh, have you seen any of his other five movies, which are also awesome? And like, you know, just as easy to find, just as easy to get into. And it's like, well, no, I like, I kind of, you know, I watched my Korean movie already. And so now I, it's time for me to like, you know, move on to whatever my next thing is. Yeah. Or not even like some, you know, because I think like Bong might be a bad example of that because his like movies are so diverse in terms of genre and stuff. But like, but you know, like, yeah, it's like, you've seen Parasite. Have you seen X, Y, Z? Yeah. And, and like, you know, and you know, another piece of Korean cinema or whatever. The the other thing I was thinking about was that it's sort of it, it, it reminds me of like a a debut album in a lot of ways, because mm-hmm. like that is the thing that gets talked about with debut albums is like it's the creator or, you know, the creators they're they're putting out all of like the good songs that they thought, you know, like yeah. this is the song, these are the songs they're writing lives. for ten years. Yeah. yeah. And then the next album is the songs that they've been writing for 10 months. Right. And, and you know, that's doubly the case with Persepolis because it is so personal and such a, like, it, it's a memoir. And so it's like, it's not like she can write Persepolis part two right away. And it's like, here's what happens from 20 to 40. Cause like she hasn't lived yeah, it yet. Yeah. But the, one of the ways that I think it's so effective because like, I think like, you know, I have this theory about music <laughs> that I want to share with the audience. Uh-huh. Um, but, but this sort of theory I have about, the way that bands evolve or, or that artists evolve is that like either you you make your work more accessible and like you sort of broaden it or you drill down very tightly on like one specific thing and like you know dive like sort of plumb the depths of what that thing can be and i think that that's sort of what she is doing with embroideries where it's like you know i've talked about like every facet of Iranian culture and now I'm going to drill down and just do a whole, you know, I I don't know exactly how it compares to like one of the volumes of Persepolis, but I imagine it's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. That like now I'm going to do one volume's worth of stuff that's just about like men and women and love and marriage and sex and all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Like I'm just going to do that. And like I said, like you could make a whole series out of these because it's like they're taking on this topic. And it, it I, I love the way that it drills down on that and gives us more perspectives and more stories and things like that but like about this one specific topic yeah and there probably is like a branding element there too where like you know like i said if if this was packaged up with persepolis regularly then tons of people would have read it um for obvious reasons and like even you know you mentioned like she hasn't done a persepolis part five or or you know a persepolis three or or however you might want to frame it and she probably could at this point and like, I think it would be interesting for her to do a book on kind of like, this is what it was like, you know, to, to immigrate to France and become an artist. Um, and like, you know, you know, 20, 20 to 40. And this is what it was like to become uh, a like world renowned comic creator as like an Iranian woman living in France. Like, I think there's probably a lot of interesting material to plumb for a memoir out of that. And I think that 
yeah, I, I would be curious, like, if she branded it as Persepolis 3 or, or you know, Persepolis 2 or Persepolis 5 or however you, you know, the, the numbering right. is very confusing with all this this stuff. But if it basically if she put Persepolis on the cover somewhere other than from the author of Persepolis, would it be more successful than if it was just like Marjan Satrapi's got a new book and it's about like it's another memoir and it's about like being an artist uh, in France like I would, yeah, and I, think, I would be curious about what the impact of that would be. Yeah, and I think again, like that sort of gets back to the weird way that things can like occupy a certain position in the culture. Because I think like people would be like, "Well, like this sucks compared to Persepolis," simply because it's not a story right. about growing up in Iran. Be like, like it's I already st- know what it's like in Europe. <laughs> yeah, or it's like you know, like it would probably mostly be a story about like how much the film industry sucks and like how it's really (laughs) hard to like get movies made and it's hard to be a female director and all this stuff like that's so so divorced like you know like it can't be divorced because it is her life and like that's what the other books were about so this one's about the same thing but it's also it's so divorced from what people you know expect considered important about the first one and so like this one just by default becomes less important because it's not about like something weird and exotic right and i i do wonder as well like as much as persepolis was in some ways about like the experience of being othered in france like would she do a whole another memoir that basically where like that was kind of the primary focus and theme or would it be more sort of like the embroideries vein of like i've talked about this this is about kind of like you know that's an element of what would be happening in it because that is an element of her experience but it wouldn't necessarily be like an immigrant story and if people would would be frustrated with it for that reason of of kind of like i don't care you know i don't want to read about the life of a french artist i want to read about the life of like an iranian immigrant in france but but i've like my sense of it is that that wouldn't necessarily be what she would be interested in talking about yeah it's 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 so interesting just the way like like we've been talking about the ways that you can sort of like just the the ways that things like become so much bigger than what the artist intended and like mm-hmm. that the even if like even if the work doesn't change like the conversation around the work can change so dramatically and like i said like can happen for such arbitrary reasons but yeah uh do we is there anything else you you want to talk about <laughs> no didn't look up sales i'm assuming it did not uh really chart based on the fact that it doesn't have a wikipedia article as you said <laughs> it, yes. it seems to be a for what it, you know as we've discussed at length at this point it it is a minor work in the eyes of kind of the north american market for whatever reason as i mentioned it did it like it was an award-winning comic in france I wish that I read French or like could could like plumb the depths of the French internet and find out chicken a little bit more. The depths. Chicken with plumb the depths. Um, I give that the sigh. Um, <laughs> oh. <laughs> um, yeah, I I wish that it was easier to kind of read more about like you know how her work is received in its like yeah. original market. It, I wish there was, it was easier to find out more about like accessible interviews with her where she talked about these things. Again, it's, it's an award-winning work. There's no way that like, she's never talked about this and yet we can't find anything about it. So anyways, all that to yeah, say, I think... no, I don't have anything further to say about it other than like a lamentation of like, 
why don't people read this? Why don't people talk to her about this? Why is this like a forgotten <laughs> book, basically? Yeah, and I think that like raises some interesting questions that I do not have anything remotely approaching an answer to, like about like is the like are the the, the there are so many factors that go into like the way that she is sort of I think seen in like the comics world. Mm-hmm. I think she's almost seen more of as like a literary figure almost rather oh, than yeah, like for sure. being included with like comics uh, cartoonists and things like well, that. Well, it's like if you look at some of her other work outside of like comics and and movies it's like you know she like op-eds for the new york times and like you know she does she is more sort of in the like public intellectual space Mm -hmm. than in the artist space and especially the like comic artist space which you know obviously is that that's its whole own whole thing she's very much outside the mold of who would be like sort of a public comics figure at least as far as North America goes. Yeah, and I think that to some extent, maybe that almost like devalues her work in the public consciousness to some extent, because like she is not being presented as like a cartoonist who is talking about things. Like she is sort of like, like you said, she occupies a a more intellectual space. And so I almost wonder if like then it becomes like well like she's just like a smart person who talks about things. Mm-hmm. She's she's almost more of like a cultural critic than an artist in in the perception of some people perhaps. Yeah, which sort of leads to maybe like more of her work getting overlooked. And obviously, you know, there's so many there's so many things going to it. Like she's a woman, she's a woman of color, mm-hmm. she is she's, someone she's who certainly, directs films yeah, and working in a style that like it is unconventional and and I think a lot of people might look at and say like this is bad or this is too simple or you know i think i think that probably her art which we have talked about like not not too much but it's certainly like even even by the the like kind of underground comics standards is very unconventional it's i've never seen another artist like it it feels like I i don't want to comment on any like technical element of it but i feel like for most readers who have no artistic training, whose uh, appraisals of art like mine mostly boil down to aesthetics, I feel like it would be easy for a lot of people to look at this and be like, it's bad without considering it much or, further than kind of the initial aesthetic uh, impact of it, basically. Yeah, or or just like, it's simple. Like, if you, if you were trying to trace this, it would be very easy <laughs> to trace it. Uh, which, you know, I think, like you said, like, it does sort of lead to people devaluing the work or seeing it differently like i mean like i love the art in this mm-hmm. honestly like even more than Persepolis. like yeah. i love i love the way that the faces which we've talked about like the way the faces are presented that like they have they are so simple and yet they carry so much detail with them and i think like that goes back to like when i see the grandma it's like i know that's the grandma when i see marjan i know that's her like i love that element of it i love the expressions like she can draw expressions in very different ways like she can draw a mouth as like the tiniest like a smile can be like the tiniest little like u-shaped circle or it can be like she can draw like when she draws people in profile the lip will like extend to like the middle of the face in a way that's almost like it it almost reminds me of like you know like ancient like roman art or like egyptian <laughs> i don't even know what i'm referring to but i feel like there's like a specific way that it's, like it's like almost like a are... pictogram yeah and like i think that like yeah i just think that like i don't know what it is because you know she was formally trained and yeah. so 
I definitely would say that like in terms of her style, she is like at the abstract end of the like the understanding comics sort of like paradigm Mm -hmm. but i also think that she is really good at like you may recall there's that page where like the matt the matt fiesel cartoon is shown and it kind of breaks down like see how how like you can leverage simplicity to achieve specificity without like overcomplicating things and i think she is very good at combining simplicity and specificity and like we talked about like how few lines are on the face and like i was just looking at through some of the other stuff where like she's got an ironing and and an ironing board and it is like so bare bones and yet also so immediately clear what it is there's a bowl that is presented in like a very it's almost just like kind of like some blotches but it's like so obviously a bowl like i i think that is she is very good at that simplicity with well while retaining specificity and that comes through really well in the characters but anyways all that to say like it wouldn't surprise me if a lot of people don't care for her art and it's not really discussed because it is canonized and it's probably kind of taboo where it's like well smart people think it's good so i'm i don't think i'm allowed to like say that i don't like it and i do like it but it would not surprise me if a lot of people don't really care for it yeah and just to your point about the sort of like specificity versus simplicity, which, I, you know, again, like I, <laughs> on on a weekly basis, I am like, I'm very happy we started <laughs> with Scott because like, I just, I, I do think it has changed the way that we perceive art compared to like the first miniseries compared to now. Um, but, but I think to your point, like that sort of ultimately comes back to what we were saying about the characters and what we were saying about like, what makes this such a great book is that like, it has the specificity that like this is one specific person this is not like an archetype or anything like that but it is also like universal enough that everyone can like share this experience like you know even if you don't have a friend that looks like her aunt or who has (laughs) never seen a penis or like you know (laughs) someone or like yeah someone in your family looks like her like you know that type of woman who is sort of like has that sort of like taut face and like, you know, with like the lines, like a woman in like her fifties or sixties, like you can imagine, like when you see that look, you sort of understand that that's like the space that they're occupying. And I think that like, again, that, that creates that sense of like, it's familiar without feeling like it's an archetype or a, or a, a symbol. Yep. And just the last thing I wanted to mention, because I, I like this, it, this was in an inter or a, you know, a poll quote on the back of the book that, they describe this was talking about Persepolis, I think, uh, but they describe it as being like a letter from a friend. And I think that that <laughs> is a great way to describe her writing style. Like it is so like casual and intimate in a lot of ways. Like it makes you it makes you feel like you're in on the joke sort of. Yeah. Um, or that like you're you're, you know, like you're a fly on the wall at this gathering. Yeah. That like it makes you feel like you're a part of it and it makes you feel like this could, you know, be you or that you could be in this place and like have it makes sense and i think that that like especially since he's writing about another country and a a radically different culture i think the ability to sort of put you in that place and make you feel like it's a familiar place is like one of her great strengths Mm -hmm. yep and like i always (laughs) say when the snake gets old the frog gets him by the balls there well i mean like yeah we could we could run through quickly uh a couple of things like i mean like there's, there's say, a lot of good one-liners for sure. Yes. Um, 
the I really liked when all of the women are like professing that they're not going to share the story. I love the one woman who says, "In my family, I'm called the two. I like that another woman also says, "Me too." <laughs> uh, um, yes. And you know, I just wanted. I wondered if you wanted to take the opportunity to do anything Crypt Keeper related because I know that's been a oh, major impression for you. Uh, let me let me think for a moment. Vamp, vamp while I while come you, up with a yeah, well, while, grizzly pun. <laughs> <laughs> well, while you're considering things, I have a second question for you, which is, are penises photogenic? Because no, that is something that comes not. up. <laughs> okay. You think penises are photogenic? No, I was fully, I mean, listen, as a, as a straight man, even my own yes. penis does not interest me that much <laughs> in terms of aesthetic qualities. So... Yeah, I, I have to agree. Now, the one thing I don't get, as you know, I've been rewatching Seinfeld lately. and Yes, I got a lot of Snapchats from you. Because <laughs> it's freaking hilarious. I spent, sent some great Borat-themed ones last night. Um, that was awesome. But, <laughs> but... That, was such a, that, was, that was like a truly like very genuine... <laughs> you don't have to tell I, me. I, I know were both great snaps. <laughs> I almost had to apologize to myself there for like going so mask off, being like, those were awesome. <laughs> Because that is truly how I felt. I was like, those were so funny. Good job. Uh, anyways, there like there's lots of circumcision talk in some of those episodes, and like the the whole like that a, a circumcised penis is so different from an uncircumcised penis. Like, mm-hmm. I don't really get that whole discussion. Um, okay, like just pull it back, and then it looks exactly the same. But uh, but other than that, uh, aside, I have to agree that penises are not photogenic um please direct your photos of penises elsewhere i would not like to see them sure in fact i'm gonna go ahead and say blanket unless you've been asked for one probably don't send it that's valid yeah i mean like if i want to see one i'll I'll seek it out don't worry (laughs) (laughs) i appreciate you thinking of me That's a great way but... to reply to an unsolicited dick pic. <laughs> I appreciate you thinking of me. <laughs> However, comma. Yes. <laughs> um, you can, of course, follow us on Twitter <laughs> at GotTheRunsPod. You can email us at, is it? I it's always the same. Make this mistake. They're both the same. It's got, got the runs okay. pod I just wanted to make sure. Gmail.com. It wasn't podcast, but yes, yeah, send in your thing. Please remember but, to well, Hold on. Hold on. Do not send in your thing. <laughs> Just yeah. to make that uh, 100% clear. <laughs> thanks for thinking of us. However, comma. No. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> uh, but yes, please do get in touch. Send us some love. We love to hear love. Uh, we love of love. Course, sure. Remember to rate and review and subscribe. You can become one of this week's lucky 10. <laughs> Uh, we should start. We should start calling the our viewers the lucky that. ten. <laughs> yeah, the lucky ten for this week. Uh, but yeah. So thank you everyone for listening. We will be okay. Wait, what are we doing next week? Next because week, I next week we are doing. I feel like we've really gone off the rails with this. Ordering yeah, a little bit. Of next week we are doing chicken with plums, the graphic novella, and animated film. We will be discussing both. I assume they are extremely similar. Um, but uh, do you feel like we should do the Persepolis movie first because it's our first movie, and then you follow it with Chicken with Plums because it's her second movie, even though 
the, the, the Chicken with Plums book comes before the Persepolis movie. The Persepolis film, but the Chicken with Plums film comes several years after. And I feel like there is some, there's a case to be made that, like, you know, we want to chart her growth as a filmmaker as well, to some extent, you know. Yeah. And, and I am still pushing for the radioactive episode. I have guests who you can do a radioactive ex- episode, but <laughs> okay, perfect. I will do a radioactive episode. <laughs> you can you can record that. You can edit that, and when it's ready to go, I will drop it on like the Saturday between episodes. <laughs> hey, come on. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so look out for that. So next week, let's let's make a decision here. What are we doing next week? I'll leave it in your hands. I feel like I've made a a, a strong case. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let, next week, let's do uh, let's do Persepolis, the film. Perfect, the film. So next week we will be covering the 2007. You tell feature me, film. But... 2007 feature film Persepolis, uh, directed by Marjan Septrapi in collaboration with Vincent Perano, aka Winchless. You'll be interested to hear um, some, you know, this one, this has a Wikipedia article <laughs> and it's got some great subheadings. <laughs> uh, well, save it for the what, pod. <laughs> I'll save it for the pod, but let's just say, no, you know what? I'll just save it for the pod, but you know, you'll, you'll go look at them mm-hmm. and you'll see that they're great. Uh, but that's going to do it for us for today for David and myself. Hope everyone is having a great week. <laughs> Who do you like for the <laughs> you know? big game? And, uh, <laughs> Yeah, keep up the good work. Uh, happy 420, etc., etc. That one's still a couple of weeks um, away. I double checked. <laughs> sure. So you know, order your. This is your. Consider this your reminder to order your cannabis now uh-huh. in anticipation of 420. But until next time, of course, to, to be, be continued. More <laughs> uh, like to be. I like beheaded better. To to be to be headed. To be headed. Uh R.I.P. to nothing. Me.